At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. With myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now part of the Visa Family and Podcast, and we've got a tremendous podcast for you as it is the America East Preview Edition. We are going to have a lot of fun with this one as here in segment number one, we're going to get a little bit of a lay of the land in the America East. We're going to be taking a look at some of the styles of play. We're going to be taking a look at some betting trends that we've seen and so much more. In segment number two, something that I love about the offseason is discovering people that they're putting in the work in the offseason, the people that truly love college basketball. Joe Budzelic, he is one of those people. He is going to be joining me. He does a great job with his website slash blog, stretchingthefloor.blogspot.com. He is going to be joining me. He is out there in the northeast part of the country. I did the conversation with him about 24 hours ago, and he clearly knows this stuff when it comes to this conference. We're going to be running through all nine of these teams. It is going to be a whole lot of fun to take a look at this with him. And in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys my projector or finish for the AEC. And along with Joe, we are going to be taking a look at a lot of the roster moves. We did see a coaching change with regards to NJIT as well. So we're going to dive into that and so much more. And if you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. Name does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other way. That's fine. An Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. And as per usual, because I am doing a college basketball conference preview today, that means that the news and notes I miss on Father's Day on Sunday. And by the way, hopefully you all did have a great Father's Day. I will round those up for you on the podcast tomorrow. So you have no fears there. And because of the circumstances that are surrounding West Virginia, there's going to be a lot of coverage on that in the coming few days on this podcast. I touched upon that yesterday as well, so no shortage there. I've got you guys covered there as to where that program is going to be going, what we're going to be seeing on that front. So we're going to get that for you tomorrow and in future days on this podcast. But let's give some love to the America East, a conference in which you're able to make some money if you are taking a look at some overs with certain teams in this conference. As we did see a little bit of a lack of defense from some of the bottom feeding teams in this conference. As you saw two teams that were very demonstrative to the over last year. That would be Albany and NJIT. NJIT, 19 overs to 10 unders. Albany, they had 20 overs to 9 unders. And the big reason why is that they just really weren't efficient on defense. I wish I could... Put it any other way, but it was a case where we did see a little bit of a divide between the haves and the have-nots, and you did notice a little bit of a tempo change from UMass Lowell as well. This is a conference that does not involve very up-tempo teams, to say the least. UMass Lowell was a little bit of a black sheep, and then you also did see Bryant. In year number one in the conference, they come in from the NEC, and something else that Joe is going to be talking about is sort of the difference of competition between the NEC, the Northeast Conference, along with the America East, and he's going to make the case that it was a big, giant upgrade for them going over to this conference, but you did see UMass Lowell be a team that was more in that top 75 range in terms of total possessions per game, Brian. They were playing relatively fast as well, though, Brian, because they were playing with a little bit more of a thin rotation, they weren't necessarily able to take advantage on offense, but you did see the two teams I laid out in Albany and NGIT just not really do a great job on defense. 
350th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis for our good buddies in Albany and NJIT. They were 309th, and it was so bad for NJIT that they had to can their coach in the offseason. It is going to be Grant Bellmeyer who's going to be coming in for them. And for NJIT, it really was them just not being able to play on the road. And this is not necessarily a conference where the home and road splits are demonstrative with a ton of teams, but for NJIT, they were actually a halfway decent defense when they're at home. They gave up 18 more points per 100 possessions when they're in a road slash huge record environment. So that absolutely destroyed them. And I do think that it is interesting to take a look at home and road splits when it comes to the America East, because I mean, it is not necessarily the world's most spread out conference, but you do have some very good home courts over at like Vermont and what have you in Vermont, just night in, night out when they're at home in this conference. They are going to be laying double figures, and yet they were a bulldozer at home. 10-3-1 against the spread, and if you were betting on home teams in the America East, you are able to do an amazing job. UMass Lowell, 10-4-1 against the spread at home. New Hampshire, 8-5 against the spread at home. Maine, 6-4 against the spread at home. And Maine was a team that they really kicked it up on defense. Overall, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, still wasn't necessarily the most savory of circumstances. Maine is still trying to build themselves up from many, many years of stench as in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, Maine was 243rd, but I mean, that's a whole heck of a lot better than they have been in past years, I can tell you that, and we're going to be identifying that in segment number two, but for Maine, they were solid at home. Heck, NJIT, 7-5 against the spread at home. Bryant, UMBC, they were both 50-50 in terms of covering games at home. Really the only teams that lost you money in their home games. Binghamton, 5-8 against the spread at home. And Albany, 4-6 against the spread at home. Though Binghamton, I'm going to identify this in segment number two as well. They were able to close out the year relatively strong. And you're going to notice that a lot of these teams that they struggled in the non-conference, they were able to pick it up a little bit more in conference. Binghamton, they were not good out of conference. They were 3-8 and eight against the spread out of conference. New Hampshire, they went 4-6 and six against the spread out of conference. All in all, it was a relatively good non-conference card for this conference, though, as I do feel like it is a little bit of an undervalued conference. UMBC went 9-5 against the spread out of conference. UMass Lowell, 9-3-1 against the spread, and they were one of your big money makers last season. Maine, with their improvement under Chris Markwood in his first season, 7-3-1 against the spread in non-conference games as well. And then you get to conference play, and UMass Lowell, they were still solid. 10-9 against the spread in conference. That's relatively break-even, but you tell that Bryant really fell off 5-11-1 against the spread in conference. UMBC, they went 6-11 against the spread in conference after out-of-conference. They were rock solid. And Binghamton, identified. Non-conference slate, they were not too good. 11-7 against the spread in conference. And you do notice that some of these teams, they do sometimes get a little bit over-slash-undervalued based on what they do outside of the conference. And this is a conference that I was mentioning the outliers in terms of teams that they went up-tempo. You still do have quite a few teams that they do like to go very low and slow. Like NJIT, I think, is going to be very interesting with bringing in a new coaching regime with the gentlemen that they are bringing in and a lot of the coaching staff in general. They were coaching over at either Maryland or Manhattan, so I am very curious to see what is going to be going down there. You do have a team like a Maine, for instance, that they were not necessarily like the world's slowest team in the world, but you tell that they were not going at warp speed or anything like that as they were about 257th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. New Hampshire is always a very slow team, 307th in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and Vermont is just really efficient. The reason why you're able to get a lot of overs in Vermont games is because if you look at the raw amount of possessions, Vermont, you're in and you're out. They're one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. 321st last year was Vermont in terms of total possessions per game. But in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, Vermont, when they made the NCAA tournament two years ago, it was even more demonstrative than this. Last year, they were 45th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. I still remember two years ago, this was one of the biggest flame balls of an offense in all of college basketball when they were in the top 10 in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Heck, you've got a New Hampshire team that they did a very good job of just specializing in shitting threes. They didn't do a lot more other than that. As a result, they were right around 295th in the country in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Maine was a team that sometimes got a little bit sloppy with their offense, about 275th in the country in terms of total points scored on a per-possession basis in Albany. It was rough for them, 298th in the country with that regard as well. But this is very much a conference that they don't necessarily have a lot of big men. So someone like a Clarence O'Daniels that returns 
to New Hampshire. He is treated like gold. He was a double-double machine for them. Vermont has always had some relatively good big men down low. They are going to be looking to perhaps bring in a transfer to D-Bell will help that out because they have lost quite a few guys in recent years on that front as well. But it is very much an AEC that it is built around a lot of teams that they like to take three-point shots. They are going to be looking to generate a few more turnovers in the case of Maine as well. You're going to find a lot of international flair with a lot of these teams within the conference as well. And a lot of offenses that they don't necessarily play super-duper up-tempo unless if you are Bryant or UMass Lowell. So it's a very interesting conference. And you did see in conference play last season because I am identifying all that we did see in terms of the tempo, in terms of what we all got in terms of a inefficiency slash inefficiency, but you did see when it came to conference games last season, quite a few of these games go over the total. I mentioned Albany and NJIT, their complete lack of defense. Both of these teams played 12 overs in conference between four to five unders for NJIT 500s just because they played an extra game when it came to the conference tournament, and you really didn't have a ton of teams that were underwhelming in this conference. UMBC had 11 unders to six overs in conference play. Bryant, they had 10 unders to seven overs in conference play just because they struggled to hit shots towards the back half of the season as well, but very much an overwhelming conference because even though they didn't play fast, a lot of threes were taken, and you did see a lot of sloppy defense. So that's a little bit of a lay of the land when it comes to the America East. Now let's bring on someone that does a great job of being able to take a look at this conference, someone that's out there in the northeast part of the country, Joe Budzelik. He does an amazing job over at StretchingTheFloor.com. He joins me next to break down all nine of these teams right here on Cusco Soups with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Houston Family Podcast, the America East Preview Edition. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. It's great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much, Joe, for having me. Thank you for joining me, Joe. And Joe, how can we lead off a preview of the America East without talking about Vermont? This team has been <laughs> up there either with a share of first place or just solely in first place for pretty much each out of the last seven years. But it did feel a little bit different with them last season. They did struggle a little bit out of conference. They are losing quite a few pieces from last year. It was, 
it feels like typically you've got five different guys with the last name Duncan on this team. And <laughs> now that's been changing a little bit. What's your overall outlook of Vermont and just the way that they handled the offseason as well? Because they do bring in a few guys like Brenton Mills, Jace Rokamore, which I think are going to be the next wave, but they do lose a lot of their top scores from a season ago. Yeah, the thing under John Becker through his tenure has been shooting, limiting turnovers and defensive rebounding. And no matter the roster, that's been pretty consistent throughout his time there. So obviously you got to start with the foundation year after year with, with the extra year of COVID. Aaron Deloney and Matt Ferretto are two returning fifth-year seniors that are going to bring a lot of stability to the squad for sure. Ferretto is kind of a story that is probably most known in Vermont. He played freshman year at Delaware, just took a break off organized basketball, just was a regular undergrad student at UConn, graduated, and then came back to Vermont and averaged 12 points per game, 44% from the three-point line uh, over his last 20 games. So he, he's a huge returnee for Vermont for sure. Yeah, with Verretto, I think that that is going to be absolutely massive for him. And he really had a little bit of a slow start last year and was able to pick that up. So I think that that was very rock solid. And the, the team that was really number two last year in the America East, that would be UMass Lowell. And I think that this team is very intriguing as well. Program record, 26 wins last year. Really hadn't had a lot of success since moving up from the D1 level. And a lot of it was based around what they were able to do down low with Abdul, Kareem, Koulibaly, couple with also Max Brooks, a AEC all-defensive player. And then you do have some of the top scorers out of eligibility as Everett Hammond, Ellen Blunt. These two guys were very good, but at the same time, they brought in a few guys. I know that they went to the non-D1 level for some like an Andres Fulgencio. Hopefully I said that one correctly. Ayindia <laughs> Akeem, guys like this. How do you view U- UMass Lowell? Because I do think that they might have the best low post presence in this conference. But at the same time, I do think that it's all about replacing that backcourt production. Yeah, they're sneaky good. What I loved about the program last year is you'd watch the games and their gyms would slowly increase in attendance. And then by the end of the season, it was it was mayhem up in Lowell. What's funny about their their transfer classes, like last year, they were top 20 in the, in the nation in three-point percentage. And then if you look at all three of their transfers, it's almost kind of like a Charleston-esque transfer hall where you get guys from the D3 level, D2, and the JUCO level. All three of their transfer additions shot 36% or better from the three-point line in their respective previous schools. So to me, they don't need to necessarily continue that perimeter presence on the offense. So I see them as a top three team in the America East for sure. Yep, I'm right there with you. I do think that UMass Lowell is going to be one of those teams that is going to be contending at the top. Team that we mentioned up front, even though they lose quite a few pieces, you know that Vermont is always going to be there, but UMass Lowell proving to be one of the best teams in the conference as well. As we're being joined by Bud, as we're being joined by Joe Buzzelick, does tremendous work over at stretchingthefloor.com. He is joining me right here on Coast to Coast Soups. And then let's take a look at a team that I thought was very intriguing towards back half of last season. And that'd be Binghamton. Binghamton went nine and eight after the calendar flipped to 2023 after a four and 10 start. Really felt like they were able to elevate towards back half of last season. Bringing in someone like an Armand Reed should be able to free up what Dan Petcash was able to do from three point range. They've done a nice job being able to scour the transfer portal. Samir Torrance is going to be coming in from Syracuse. Timu Chenery, he's someone that I've always liked at Quinnipiac as well. I don't think that Binghamton is necessarily going to be challenging at the very top of the conference, but I really like what's being built here at Binghamton, a team that's been really able to turn things around over the last 24 months. Lavelle Sanders has been incredible. The year before he joined at the helm, they were 4-14, and which was just awful. Similar to Vermont, they're bringing four... Um, extra year eligible players back. As you mentioned, Taimu Chinnery, I'm from Connecticut. He's a fan of mine. He's he's kind of bouncy, a little bit of stretch abilities. He's kind of like a combo forward. And what's interesting about their lineup is half the time they played small ball. So expect 6-3 through 6-6 kind of positionless basketball half the time that they're playing. But obviously, like we're talking a lot about transfers, two of their freshman commits of this offseason are coming from IMG Academy, which is a high school powerhouse in basketball. I don't see them as a contender to win the conference, but definitely they're part of that really deep middle ground to make it a very competitive conference. I do agree with you. And I do think that this team is going to be better than they were a season ago as well. That'd be Albany. I know that Albany was dealing with a lot off the court as Wayne Killings was dealing with some off the court allegations, things of that nature. And it really hurt them in the transfer portal last offseason. They did a better job of being able to bring in some talent this offseason. Tyler Bertram, 
who is no stranger to this conference. He was at UAB last year, but I remember a few years ago when he was at Binghamton, he was a guy that was able to average darn near 10 points per contest. Amari Marshall, a 40% three-point shooter over at Hofstra, is coming in as well. I know that down low they were able to get some nice production as well from Jonathan Beagle. I believe that he was the conference's rookie of the year last year. Now, they do lose Gerald Drumgoulet, who was able to do a nice job for them last season as their main scorer. But all in all, I do like the transfer hall that was brought in by Albany. Once again, not a team I think is going to be at the very top of the conference, but certainly I do think that they're going to be much better than the 3-13 and 13 mark they put in, up in conference last year. It's funny you mentioned Vermont as the kings of America East, but prior to Vermont, it was always Albany, maybe 20 years ago or so, two decades ago. They very ago. nearly knocked off UConn as a 16 seed. <laughs> exactly. You didn't mention Sebastian Thomas. He really played a lot early on as an underclassman at Rhode Island. Kind of just has a savvy, simple pass-first point guard. Doesn't do a ton of scoring, but he's a really, really good, capable distributor and really limits mistakes. You mentioned Amari Marshall. To me, he's the X factor. I see him possibly starting from day one. He's only a sophomore. He has a ton of athleticism. As you mentioned, his shooting ability as well. And then Jonathan Beagle, 6'9", 240 as a incoming sophomore. He could pass out of the high post. Yeah, he's a real dangerous player and a not very bulky conference. He just provides a different element. You don't typically see in the America East. There's definitely a, some high-end brothers on Albany, which is kind of funny to think about. Aaron Reddish is a stretch forward. He's the younger brother of Cam Reddish. And then Marcus Jackson is the younger brother of Andre Jackson from UConn. So two younger brothers of potential NBA older brothers. It's kind of neat to see uh, what they've been doing up in Albany. Yeah, it has been. And I do think that things are going to be able to trend upward for them as well. I remember two years ago, they took down Boston College, felt like they were able to get things moving forward. A little bit of a rough year last year, but I do think that things are going to be a little bit better for them this year. And we'll see if this program is able to take the next step forward because for the longest of time, Maine has really been the dregs of this conference. But <laughs> last year, Chris Mackwood really did a good job with this team. I know that 13 wins to most is not going to sound like a lot, but that's most wins that they had in a season since the 2010-11 season with Kellen Tynes leading all D1 players in terms of seals per contest, and that really was their bread and butter. I do like the fact that they bring in Drake transfer. Okay, Domingos, he has shot 50% from three-point range in the last two years, granted on a small sample size, but, you know, you're going to take that. So, like, an Adam Cisse coming in from Manhattan should be able to help them out along with Keon Burns, who I recognize at Long Island had a rough year last year, but being able to bring him in, that's big. Jari Zapatis. He was really the main three-point shooter, so that's going to hurt them a little bit. But I do feel like Mackwood is doing a solid job with this main team. I don't think that they're going to be able to reach that mountaintop this year or anything like that. But at the very least, Maine has went from becoming an automatic win on the schedule to being a tough team that is going to be able to generate some seals and make life tough for you. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be a lot like last year. Maine definitely has a bad rep the last couple of years. But last year, Maine was part of that group with New Hampshire, Bryant, UMBC, Binghamton that we're all kind of around 500 the entire season. It was a super competitive conference, and they were definitely a huge part of that. I mean, Kellentines, his length at the two-guard is, like, insane. Or he's kind of like a two-guard, but but with Jaden Clayton also as an all-rookie team selection last year, there's pieces. It's kind of a funky group. I know Maine has really been a lot dedicated to the international to get their talent, but kind of an interesting group. Um, I definitely wouldn't sleep on them in America East. And I wouldn't be surprised if they frighten a few teams in their non-conference. I don't know if they'll get any major upset wins per se, but I don't think they're going to be as simple of a cupcake as they were in previous years. So we'll see what Maine could do this year for sure. Yep, I'm with you. I think that we could expect a lot of what we saw last year from Maine. Pesky team, not going to be at the top of the conference, but certainly things are much better for them now than before MacBook took over that team. And this is a bunch that I felt like was underachieving last year. They went 4-7 and seven in their last 11 games. We're talking about Bryant. With Bryant, I was just surprised that they didn't go deep into their bench. I guess they brought in a lot of guys via the transfer portal last offseason. They haven't brought in as much this offseason, but they do have Sharif Gross Bullock back. It was Mr. Dodal, 17 points, 4 and a half boards, shot nearly 40% from three-point range. Earl Timberlake does a very solid job down low, but we all remember Doug Eater, what he was able to do during the Elite Eight on that run for the St. Peter's Peacocks. Him not necessarily being able to do a lot was a little bit surprising. They bring in Connor Weathers from UMass Lowell, but I was just a little bit befuddled by the team last season. I felt like they underachieved last season. And while I think that Rafael Pinzone is going to be able to give the team a little bit of something, 
I feel like Bryant might be the biggest wild card in this conference because I do think that for Bryant to have success, they do need to have a little bit more of a rotation than they ran last season. Well, you got to forget, though, that Bryant, it was their first year in the American East last year, and it's a huge step up from the Northeast Conference. Um, I live 15 minutes from Sacred Heart University. I'm very familiar with the Northeast Conference. And although I love the conference, the American East is a huge step up. So I did think they would have done better than an 8-8 eight and eight finish in American East play last year. Honestly, I think they're the biggest threat to Vermont this year. They just play so fast. They shoot a ton of threes. And with Antoine Walker graduating, I could really see Earl Timberlake stepping up in like a small ball five. He basically averaged a double-double last year. And with Sharif Gross-Bullock, he's like a 6'5", 220 point wing. I see a lot of positionless basketball this year. That could be really, really fun to watch. You mentioned Pinzone. He played point guard in high school. As a 6'6", 190, um, I believe he was at Long Island Lutheran. I'm just looking at this lineup. The ball movement should almost be like Arizona-esque, where like there's not really a point guard, but you never know where the ball's going to go. And just at that size, it, it kind of, since they don't really have small guards, their 2-3 matchup zone will really kind of play to the roster that they have. I see them going like maybe eight deep this year, maybe nine deep. They got a couple other um, transfers coming in. Former walk-on Daniel Rivera from St. Louis. I think they're Vermont's biggest challenge. I, I, I think Vermont wins the American East again, but Bryant should be a lot more conditioned their second year in, in the conference for sure. I do think that your number two for Bryant is going to be going a little bit better for them as well. Joining me on the show, we do have Joe Budzalek. He does tremendous work over at StretchingTheFloor.com, doing a great job taking a look at the game of college basketball. We're diving in on the America East. And with UMBC, they have been one of the main competitors to Vermont because, as we know, UMBC a few years ago, they went to the NCAA tournament and they pulled off one of the biggest upsets that we've ever seen. But with UMBC, it is a little bit of a new-look team. I like what has been built by Jim Ferry overall, but they are looking to turn the page a little bit, and you'd like to see a little bit more defense from them. I do like the fact that they were able to go to the D2 level, pick up someone like a Marlon Short, who was able to average about 15 points per game. Someone like a Chicago State transfer, Bryce Johnson, should be able to help this team out as well. But this is going to be a very new-look team in the backcourt as they have to replace pretty much all of their top seven scores. They're going to be looking to Deion Brown to be able to give them a little bit of something for UMBC just with all the losses and just the chemistry issues I think is going to come from all those losses. I could see it being a little bit more of a down year for them. Yeah, I agree with you as well. You mentioned Deion Brown. He was on the all-rookie team last year, averaged close to eight points per game. You mentioned defense. Defense was their biggest weak point. I'm kind of liking how they are building their center rotation for next year. They brought in Max Lorca Lloyd, um, 6'9", 225 out of Penn, and then Kadarius Smith out of um, South Carolina Upstate. He's a thicker center at 6'8", 255. But even though both of these bigs averaged less than 20 minutes per game last year, they both averaged over a block a game. So I see a really potent one-two defensive punch at the five, which is going to be pretty unique in the conference. I mean, Marcus Banks is brought in from a Western Carolina as well. That's a really strong shooting team. And he was a Southern Conference all-freshman last year. So there's pieces, kind of hard to see who plays where and what capacity. Again, I wouldn't be surprised if they stay within that middle ground like they were last year. But I do feel a little lower on them this year than I did last year. Yep, I'm right there with you. And I do think that Jim Ferry has done a great job with UMBC. But when you lose pretty much darn near all of your Mm -hmm. top seven scores, well, it's hard for any coach to really have success there. And this is the one team that I take a look at the America East that they're going to go as far slash come up as short as their main player is going to be taking them. And that would be New Hampshire. New Hampshire was such an intriguing team because the team was 358th in the country in terms of field goal shooting percentage, but they shot it relatively well from three. And Clarence O'Daniels was a double-double machine. 15.5 points, 10.5 boards, shot over 39% from three, but he loses darn near everyone else around him. They bring in Jackson Baker. He was at Central Arkansas a few seasons ago. They also bring in Nal Miller. He was at D2 Edinburgh as well. But I think with New Hampshire, it's pretty much Clarence O'Daniels being super awesome for this team. And then the question becomes, what do you get out of everyone else? I love Clarence O'Daniels. He's a matchup nightmare. 6'6", 225. He has some stretchability too, like 28% from three. He can do basically anything, which is really cool. To be honest, their backcourt kind of intrigues me. I see their starting lineup with all JUCO additions. Dior Davis, he actually had 13 offers out of high school. 
And then at Ellsworth Junior College, he averaged 14 points a game there. And then I think Ahmad Johnson is going to be one of the starters as well at Western Texas Junior College. He averaged 17 points, five assists. I plug them into my starting lineup for New Hampshire. I mean, it really is anyone's game, to be honest. But I wouldn't be surprised if both Davis and Johnson, two Juco additions, start off on the starting lineup for New Hampshire. Yeah, New Hampshire really has dove into the junior college market. I know that they've went to the D2 level for a guy or two as well. So look at, they're looking to mix, mix and match after they really hit a home run with Clarence O'Daniels, bringing him in a few years ago. And then we've got one last team to break down, and that would be NJIT, a team that has went... 16-34 and 34 in AEC play the last three seasons, so it's been a little bit less than savory, and we did see a changing of the guard this offseason. Grant Billmeyer is going to be taking over the program after he was a Maryland assistant, and, well, whenever you see a changing of the guard, that typically means that you're going to have a little bit of a new-look roster, but I think that he's honestly done a solid job in the transfer portal. Elijah Buchanan was very much limited due to injury last year, but MNN, he was a relatively solid player. You've got Daniel Schreier, who's going to be coming in from Manhattan as well. You didn't see as many minutes, but I mean, pretty much it's Adam Hess coming back. I believe Makai Gray is not transferred out as well, but this is going to be a lot of mixing and matching. Bill Meyer has really had to build a little bit of a roster on the fly as this was a coaching change that happened later on in the cycle as well, which did put him behind the eight ball. And I think Bill Meyer is honestly going to be able to do a solid job with NJIT. I think it's going to take some time, though. I think that year one is going to be a little bit rough with Elijah Buchanan most likely being that go-to guy. Yeah, I think Elijah Buchanan is going to be that undersized four. That's kind of position he played a lot at Manhattan. You mentioned Manhattan. I think a lot of Mac basketball fans will be rooting for NJIT, namely because Rashawn Stores, who was unpopularly not awarded the job at Manhattan after he did a great job on the interim basis last year. He comes in as a huge assistant coach for Bill Meyer. He has, he's young, has energy. He really brought the Jaspers together um, as a team after a really tough offseason last year. So I see a really strong coaching group. Like I said, there's not a ton to see with the roster so far. But again, it's only their fourth year in the America East between Bryant and uh, NJIT in the last half decade with Hartford leaving recently. I would love to see NJIT live. I, I'm not too far from Newark. I would love to check out a game live. It's just, there's going to be an energy and just Bill Meyer has been a long-term, well-respected assistant coach for years at Seton Hall and then went over in Maryland as well. I'm not going to sleep on him. They're probably going to be at the bottom of the America East, but still, they're going to be a fun program to follow for the next couple of years. Yep, I do think that it is going to be a team that is going to be on the rise in future years. And I do think that they did a solid job hiring on Bill Meyer. I think he is going to need a year or two, though, just because when you take over a situation like that, it is always rough. But what is always a great situation is getting great guests on this podcast. And Joe, you absolutely love the game of college basketball. It was great to be able to get you on today. And I know you're doing a great job over at StretchingTheFloor.com. And I know that you're looking to expand. You're looking to do a little, little bit more in the college basketball realm. I know that you've done an amazing job this offseason taking a look at just this great game that we all know and love. So love to get people at home, know what's all on tap for you, and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms. Stretching the floor is basically, it's my way to kind of share mid-major basketball, mostly in the Northeast area, the New York City, Boston, Philly area. So my Twitter handle is STF underscore NCAA. The blog is stretchingthefloor.blogspot.com. Year two of the handle, and it's just been a lot of fun. And just wanted to thank all the teams and players and coaches and fans for being a part of it. Absolutely. And you are doing a tremendous job, Joe. And it is going to be an exciting year in the America East. It does feel like Vermont probably going to be that favorite once again, but it does feel like sort of that divide between they and everyone else is becoming a little bit smaller. And it was great to be able to get Joe Budzelik aboard to be able to take a look at it. So big thanks to Joe for joining me on Cusco Soups, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you my projector or finish for the America East. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? 
Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Las Vegas for Gus Kissings with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family and Podcast. That was a terrific chat with Joe Budzelik. He does an amazing job over at stretchingthefloor.com. I recognize that he doesn't have the biggest following count in the world on Twitter. We've got to reverse that because this man knows what he is looking at in terms of college basketball. Just a wealth of knowledge. He truly loves this sport. He puts in a lot of effort to be able to take a look at these mid-major teams, and it was a joy to be able to get him on the podcast today. A big thanks to Joe for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you my projector or finish for the NEC. Just a little bit of a reminder that because I am doing a conference preview today, that does mean that the news and notes of college basketball, instead of doing it over the last 24 hours, I'm going to be doing it for the last 48 hours. So be on the lookout there and be on the lookout for this team finishing in dead last in the NEC. I'm going to be going with NJIT. Just a little bit tough for Grant Billmeyer taking over the program. He was a Maryland assistant. He was with Kevin Willard for all those years. And I do like the fact that he brings in Elijah Buchanan. Elijah Buchanan only played in five games last season. But I mean, while he was at Manhattan, 11.5 points, six boards, right around two and a half assists per contest. And when he was fully healthy, he was typically right around about an eight or so points per contest guy. Someone who has some size that is able to handle the ball at the point. They are also going to be returning Adam S, who I do think is going to be able to make some contributions for this bunch as well. But it's going to be very makeshift. They're having to go down to the junior college level. They're having to go with a lot of non-D1 transfers to be able to fill out this roster. As S was actually relatively solid towards back half of the season. Final 19 games, he was able to put in there right around 12.5 points per game. Shot about 44% from three-point range. So I do think that there's a little bit of upside there. I believe Mikai Gray should be back as well after averaging 7 points per contest. But this is an NJIT team that is going to be a long-term rebuild. I know that Rashawn Stores, who is the interim coach at Manhattan, he's going to be a part of this regime as well. And I think NJIT in a few years... They're going to be better this year. I think it's going to be tough. I've got them number nine dead last in terms of my projector and finish. At number eight, I am going to be going with UMBC. 
With UMBC, they essentially have to replace their top seven scorers from last year, and that's going to be tough. I do like what Jim Ferry is doing with this program, but when you've got so many moving parts with this team, a team that really didn't play a lot of defense to start with, what can you expect to be able to get out of them as really your main guy returning from last season is going to be Deion Brown, a guy that was able to give you seven and a half points per contest, and Max Locera Lloyd, when he got minutes at the Ivy League school in Penn, he was able to do a relatively solid job. I remember towards the beginning part of the season going up against Missouri, teams like that, he was able to do a relatively solid job. You've got Marlon Short who comes in from Cal State, Sineshlas, hopefully I said that correctly, 15 and a half points, five boards. He's someone that's going to be able to help out this team as a little bit of a wing piece, and Bryce Johnson, he had nine and a half points, four boards per game at Chicago State, shot 39% from three, but how is that going to translate to the AEC. I do have some questions. They aren't going to have necessarily a ton down low, though Kadarius Smith, who is coming in from USC Upstate, I do think that he's going to be a little bit of a wild card as well after he had about eight points per contest in the Big South. But again, I think that the Big South, a little bit less than what you get in the AEC. I think that it's going to be a struggle for a UMBC team that is pretty much built on the fly. So I do have UMBC in my projector finish at number eight. And number seven, I've got New Hampshire. And the big reason why I've got New Hampshire here is because I just feel like they need a little bit more than Clarence O'Daniels. Clarence O'Daniels is awesome. 16 and a half points, 10 and a half boards per contest. But with New Hampshire as well, this team was very much a bunch that was not efficient on offense in that they just had a really low field goal shooting percentage. They were able to hit quite a few threes. And if they're hitting threes, that's very good for the team. They do bring in someone like a Jackson Baker, who's six foot eight. He's a mid 33 point shooter. Trey Woodyard, he comes into the program as well. Should be able to give the team a little bit of scoring, but bass massive question marks outside of what you've got in Clarence O'Daniels. This team is going to be very much carried by him. I feel like they could use a little bit more Red Van Tutrick. Hopefully I said that correctly. He's going to be someone that at 6'10 should be able to help out a little bit of that low down low, but at the same time, I do feel like this team is just built a little bit too much around one player. Now, with that said, I do think that there might be an upset or two that does get sprung just because that one player, Mr. O'Daniels, is so stinking good that he takes over a game for a night. He's able to lead the team to a victory, but I do think that with New Hampshire, just need a little bit more balance with them to be able to advance them further on this ranking. So I did put them number seven in terms of my projector or finish. And number six, I'm going to be going with Albany. Albany was dealing with a lot off the court with Dwayne Killings having some allegations brought about him for like abuse of a player or something like that. I don't know the exact specifics, so I'm not going to speculate too much. And they need to improve upon a defense that was 350th in the country last season in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. But they do bring back a lot of their pieces from last year. And Jonathan Beagle was awesome. 12.5 points, 7.5 boards, 2.1 assists per contest last year with at least 9 points and 14 out of his last 15 games. I know that it was brought up by our good friend Joe in the fact that you've got Aaron Reddish, who is the brother of Cam Reddish. I like what he was able to do towards back end of the season as he shot 40% from three in his final 12 games with about 9.5 points per contest. So you do have a little bit of upside there. I believe that Andre 3000, Jackson's brother, is in there as well. John Marco already, he was able to register about 5 points per contest at Delaware last year. And he was a little bit of a Swiss Army knife guy towards Delaware, towards the back half of the season. Six and a half points, a block, three and a half rebounds. Sebastian Thomas comes in from Rhode Island as well. He was a part-time starter last year. He's able to dole out the ball. And then I do think the guy that is really going to be able to help this team out as well, Tyler Bertram. He didn't do a lot over at UAB last season, but when he was over at Binghamton a few seasons ago, about 10 points per contest, shot 37% from three, knows the lay of the land in the AEC, and should pair well with Amari Marshall. I could see this Albany team being a team that's a little bit cold early and then heats up because you do have a lot of moving parts with this team. They do have to pick up the pieces after guys like Gerald Drumgoulet and company leave the fold, but Beagle, a very good place to start. I do have Albany, number six in terms of my projector or finish. At number five, I'm going with Binghamton. Binghamton was able to pick things up towards back half of the year. A rough 4 and 10 start to the season. They went 9 and 8 when the calendar flipped to 2023, and you've got damn Ped Cash. Ped Cash was able to shoot right around 40% from three, but he saved his best for last. Final 18 games of the season, shot 45.5% from three, a little bit over 12 points per contest, so you've got something to build around there. Samir Torrance didn't see big minutes at Syracuse, but when you're Binghamton, being able to bring in someone that was a relatively highly touted guy, someone from Syracuse, that's big. Timu Chenery, throughout his career at Quinnipiac Sands last year, is typically a guy that would give you right around eight or so points per game. Tariq Balogon, he's six foot ten. He should be able to man things down low. 
It is a team that is going to be dealing with a little bit of depth issues, but I also do like Chris Walker. He comes in from Little Rock as well. He's a six foot six, a little bit of a jitterbug guy. I do think that this Bingham team is actually relatively well coached. I like the way that Lavelle Sanders has been able to build up this program. I think Armand Harid is in for another big year. I think that Binghamton is going to be able to play some of the better defense in this conference as well. So I'm going to be going with Binghamton in my projector or finish here at number five. At number four in terms of my projector or finish, we are going to be riding with our good friends in Maine. Maine has really been able to build themselves up. Chris Markwood did an incredible job in season number one. Now, the big issue that you do have with this team is Jenny Jayu Zapatis. Hopefully I said that correctly. I apologize if I did not. But he was a tremendous three-point shooter for this team. He is out of the fold. Now you get back to Kellen Tynes, and Kellen Tynes is the X Factor. He led all of college basketball in steals per contest. He was flat-out awesome for this team. Maine overall was a team that did still leave a little bit of something to be desired on defense, but I mean this is a good place to start. 14.5 points, 4.6 boards, 3.8 assists, 3.3 steals per game, and okay, Domingos. I don't think he's going to duplicate the fact that he shot 50% from three-point range each of the last two seasons, but he should be able to give this team something nice. You've got Peter Filipowski along Chris and Fireberg's returning after they returned with 17.5 points, 10.5 boards per contest last season. Jashante Wright-McLeod, he was able to give the team right around 8 points per contest the final 17 games of the season. The team was 339th in the country in terms of rebound rate last season, which is a big reason why it did keep them out of my top three. I would like to see a little bit more out of someone like an Adam Cisse who's going to be coming into the program. I do think that he's going to be able to do something nice. Cam Burns, he comes in from LIU, so you do have some moving pieces and you also bring in someone like a Jaden Clayton as well, but all in all, I like what Maine has been able to do. It's not very often that Maine has been in the top four in regards to my projector or finishing one of these, so very nice to see that. We've got Maine at number four. Number three, I'm going to be going with Bryant, and I think the biggest key with Bryant is they just need to have a little bit more depth in general for this team. Last year, they were really built around the likes of Sharif Gross, Bullock, and company. Now they bring in Rafael Pinzone. Pinzone was able to do a solid job while he was over at St. John's. He was able to give the team seven points per contest. He's six foot six. I think that he's going to be great, and I do like Earl Timberlake. He's bringing Sexy back with north of 15 points, eight and a half rebounds per game. So this is someone that you do want to be watching out for. They also bring in Connor Withers. Withers was playing over at UMass Lowell, was a relatively solid defender, a guy that's able to give you five plus rebounds per contest. I do think that he's going to have some versatility. You've got fewer transfers coming into the program than a season ago, but just being able to find their bearings, being able to have a little bit more chemistry in general, I think is very impactful for the team. On top of that, I do think that Daniel Rivera coming in from St. Louis, that's going to be good as he was averaging right around 9.2 points, 4.5 rebounds per game two seasons ago at the junior college level. I know that he was highly touted there before. He just really couldn't get in off the bench at St. Louis. So you've got a lot of interesting parts with the team. Big thing is, let's see what the depth is with this team because I do think that Trialer Brellsford is going to be able to give you a nice little impact as a wing player as well. Question is, how much is he going to need to do? So I do have Brian ascending a little bit. I do have them number three in terms of my projector or finish. I just can't put them in front of UMass Lowell. I've got UMass Lowell in terms of my projector or finish at number two. One of the best teams in all of college basketball in terms of blocking shots last season. That combo that you had with Abdul Kareem Koulibaly coupled with Max Brooks was awesome. Brooks, five and a half boards, 1.8 blocks per contest, an AEC all-defensive player, and then Kareem Koulibaly, 11 and a half points, seven and a half boards. I mean, this team was fifth in the country last year in terms of rebound rate. A conference that really doesn't have a lot of big men. This team, they were able to do a tremendous job with their size. I believe that they get both back a lot. Ayinde Akeem. Ayinde Akeem, I believe it was a game against Sacred Heart last year. He put up a triple-double. He does have some liabilities when it comes to three-point shooting, but that's why you've got Yuri Covington. Yuri Covington, I still remember, was a walking turnover a few years ago while he was over at William & Mary. He just needed to find a circumstance where he's playing a little bit more off the ball. He fits in very well with this offense. You've got someone like an Alan Blunt who's able to give you a few points per contest. He's able to knock down a few threes as well. Andres Volgencio, he's able to come in after he averaged 15.5 points, 6.5 boards, 1.3 steals per game at Division II Bloomsburg. I'm very 
bullish on him as well. So all in all, I do think that you've got quite a bit of upside with this team. I do think that this is a UMass Lowell team that despite the fact that they're going to be missing a few players like Everett Hammond from the backcourt, maintaining that frontcourt, I think is big. Someone like a six foot eight Cam Morris should be able to help a little bit on that front as well. Very bullish on this bunch. I do have them number two in my projector or finish, but I mean, this team has won at least a share of the AEC regular season each out of the past seven seasons. I recognize that there's a lot of moving parts with them, but at number one in my projector or finish, it is Vermont. And Vermont has done a really nice job in the transfer portal. They do bring back Aaron Deloney. Aaron Deloney is going to be really the main save from a season ago, coupled with a gentleman that I know Joe was taking a look at, and I feel very good about him as well. Matt Verretto, let's highlight him. He was able to average right around 9.3 rebounds per game on 41% three-point shooting last year, but he ascended towards back half the season. 12.5 points, shot 48.4% for three in the final 12 games of the season. On top of that, with Deloney, you should be able to get a double-figure amount of points per game out of him. They bring in Shamir Bogue, someone who I like over at Tarleton State, nine and a half points at two steals per contest. Vermont is typically not a team that they generate a lot of turnovers, but they also bring in someone in Jake Roquemore that has active hands. They really went towards more of the West Coast as Roquemore, six and a half points, two and a half assists, 1.1 steals, shot 43% from three at UC San Diego last year. Brenton Mills is someone that knows how to put up buckets in this conference after being glued to the bench at Bowling Green. He's back after he averaged right around 14 points on 40% three-point shooting during the 2020-21 season while he was in this conference as well. You bring in someone like a TJ Long who's able to shoot it well from three-point range as well. Vermont typically not a team that utilizes the transfer portal to this extent. They've had to utilize it a little bit more, but I think that they have done so to uh, perfection. You no longer have a guy named Duncan on this roster, but you do have a whole bunch of bucket getters. I do think that along with having TJ Hurley back, who's able to do a nice job of knocking down some threes as well, Vermont, they under John Becker are going to win this conference once again. I've got Vermont number one in my projector or finish for the AEC, and that will wrap things up for the America East Conference Preview Edition of Coast to Coast Soup Style, part of the Beeson Family and Podcast. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gnet underscore d1. Keep in mind, letters M. I mean, it does not matter. As per usual, please just send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. A big thanks to Joe Budzelik. He does absolutely tremendous work over at stretchingthefloor.com. He joined me in the last segment to be able to take a look at all these teams in the America East. And it's very much worth a follow at STF underscore NCAA. I'll be coming at you guys every single day on this podcast. Here in the offseason, lending the news and notes of college basketball. Taking a look at these conference previews, and then once we get in season, picks and analysis on every single game, every single day. So I'll be with you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.